I want to welcome everybody to our services tonight. Some more about the time that uh, Danny was leading Let the Lower Lights Be Burning, a, a game kicked off, I think. And uh, they're into the first quarter. I know somebody out there has got their phone going, and you know what the score is. So if, if there's a score, Dave Daniel, you're probably keeping up with it. Just give me a signal, okay? I don't know how, how you watch the football game, this uh, Super Bowl. Many people watch for the game, some for the commercials. If, 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 you're, if you're one of how many of you watch for the game? All right, how many of you watch for the commercials? How many of you watch for both? Dave Daniel says that's a touchdown, somebody scored. <laughs> no, not yet. Well, hopefully we'll get out of here before halftime if you're interested in watching the game. I did a little research on this to see what the Bible has to say about the Super Bowl. You know that the Super Bowl has two teams playing tonight, New England versus Philadelphia. New England is really in Boston, New England Patriots, Philadelphia Eagles. And of course, you Bible scholars know that one of those cities is in the Bible. And that would be? That's right, Philadelphia is one of the seven churches, right, that uh, John wrote to in the book of Revelation. And so the Bible is tilting toward Philadelphia right now. I looked it up in the Bible. I looked it up in the concordance. I don't know if any of y'all still use a concordance. I do. I looked up in a concordance. I looked for patriots. Guess how many references there are to patriots in the Bible? Zero. I looked up eagles. Guess how many references there are to eagles? About 30. Things are looking pretty good for the eagles right now. So I really wanted to take a little more serious look at this for a second. Be turning to Revelation chapter 3. Um, Philadelphia. Anybody know what Philadelphia means as you translate it? That's right, the city of brotherly love. That's really, okay, that's really pretty deep, really, if you think about it. And here we are, like the, the church on the hill, the city on the hill, we should be that city of brotherly love, whether it's in our families or work or, or church. Hopefully we are known that way. But that's the name of this city. Um, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, that you have, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since, I have, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's interesting to me that of the seven churches, 
that John is writing to, Philadelphia, is one that he doesn't say, but I have this against you. Remember Laodicea? What did he have against them? They were lukewarm. Ephesus, he said, you have forsaken your first love. Pergamum, he had this against them. They held on to the teachings of Balaam, Thyatira, tolerated sexual immorality like Jezebel. But in Philadelphia, I, it's mostly good things that he has to support them. I want to focus on verse 8 for just a second. You have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. That describes us, right? That wouldn't be a bad description, I think, if it did. You have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. There are times when all of us feel some weakness in our lives, and yet, like Philadelphia, let's not deny his name. And verse 10, he says, you have kept my command to endure patiently. That's us, right? To endure patiently. That's a description. You know, if you could write those on your tombstone, that we were weak, but we kept God's word, and that uh, we endured patiently in all that we did, that would be good praise for us. So I'm, I'm going to throw this verse in for you. For the football fans, this verse says, they were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Ooh. But that doesn't apply to the New England Patriots. Anybody know who that is? I pulled out a little obscure verse. Somebody probably knows it. I think I see Joel Inman shaking his head. That's Saul and Jonathan, right? We're described as in 2 Samuel 1, uh, 23. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. But Interesting, I think, the way that um, in Exodus chapter 19, Moses writes this. The Lord said, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And as Gary read for us from Isaiah chapter 40, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. All right, that's it. I'm for the eagles. Though the, the description of God carrying us as if on eagles' wings is really uh, the way that describes us if we trust and obey and walk with God. Now, okay, right now I'm starting the real lesson. I'm changing over from Philadelphia, eagles, and other references. I, I've... This is going to be a little Bible study that I want you to look at. It's more Bible study than, than preaching. Being the Gospels, we're going to go to all four Gospels. Look at Matthew chapter 8. As I read a couple of passages that should be familiar to you, I want you to be listening for something that seems different. Of course, you all know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as the Gospels carry some of the, tell some of the same stories, and some details are a little bit different. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. When he arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? 
Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. All right, now turn over to Mark chapter 5. Just kind of try to keep that story in your mind as Matthew's account. Look at Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. We're not going to read this whole passage. Mark has 20 verses on it, but I'm going to read enough of it for you to see a difference. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. The difference I'm looking for is not Gerasenes Gadarenes. It's, I think, two names for the same place. Look over to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Okay, did you see the difference? In Matthew, he has two, right? Mark and Luke, only one demon-possessed man. All right, just kind of file that away for a second. Now look at Matthew chapter 20. This is Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them, what do you want me to do for you? He asked, Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. Now look over to Mark chapter 10. This is Mark 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, uh, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And there's more to the story that Mark has. Look over to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 35. 
As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then he has more details of the story. Okay, so here we have Matthew has how many blind men? He's got two. Mark and Luke have one blind man. In fact, Mark even names him as Bartimaeus. Okay, one more. Look at Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey that tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Okay, now... As a side note, you know this is what's often referred to as Palm Sunday. Now, this is a super Sunday. This is uh, the Sunday of Jesus' last week of life before his crucifixion. Look over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verse 1, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you doing this, tell them the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them, had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Okay. And then Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, tell them the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and Jesus, and put Jesus on it. John has the same story in John chapter 12. Now this one is not a difference between two people. 
they all said two disciples went to do this. But did you notice the difference? Matthew had a donkey and a colt, and the others had just one animal. Now, I realize, it, to me this is a bit of a mystery that I have heard since I was little. There's not a discrepancy. All it is is that there were, there were two there, but Mark and Luke only referred to one blind man or one demon-possessed man, even though there were actually two there. And I realize that could be it. Okay, so I want to present a different idea to you. And I don't know that it's right. I'm just telling you this is a very interesting idea that I've come across that, ex that might explain. Emphasis on might explain the differences. Do you notice for the, the donkey and the colt? Uh, Matthew said he rode the donkey and the colt. Okay, now I'm not a horse rider. I don't think you can ride two at the same time. And he said he rode both of them. Maybe he rode the first one, got off of it, then got on the second one. But the other riders only talk about one animal, not two. Don't you find that an interesting mystery? Okay, and I'm not saying there's a discrepancy in the Bible. I'm, what I'm looking at is uh, a possible explanation. Here's some other things that come up. Matthew and Mark speak of one man or angel at the resurrection, at the tomb and, uh, of the resurrection of Jesus. But Luke and John say that there were two. Mark and Luke both say uh, that there were two men walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Matthew and John don't tell the story, but you remember that story of the guys on the road to Emmaus? They were walking with Jesus. They didn't recognize Jesus. Luke says there were two of them, and one of them's name was, do you remember that one? Cleopas. What was the other one's name? He didn't name him. Okay, I, I don't know that Luke didn't, had forgotten his name, but he only named one of them for some reason. So, the Bible has within it about 75% of the Bible is stories. About 25% of the Bible is what you might say doctrinal writing style. About 75% are stories. Stories draw you in. They invite you to be a part of the story. An ancient Middle Eastern literary technique. Okay, now all these guys were writing in the Middle East. They were educated enough to know something of the style of writing of the day. So this is what I've come across, and I, it might not be right. I'm just saying that it seems like it fits. An ancient Middle Eastern literary writing style was that the author would add an extra character to the story. And the, act, and the extra character was not really there. The extra character was for you, was for me as the reader, to read the story and put ourselves in there and say, we're sitting next to the guy Bartimaeus, who's named. What would it be like to be blind, to be asking for money every day, to have to depend on somebody to take care of you every day? You're invited into the story next to Bartimaeus. What would it be like 
who had been walking on the road to Emmaus with Jesus as he told them all those stories from the Old Testament and how all the scriptures pointed to him and their hearts burned within them. You're walking with Cleopas and you're getting to hear the stories. Do your heart, does your heart burn within you when you hear the stories of Jesus? The man who was um, demon-possessed and lived in the tombs and he cut himself and he cried out and he was so strong they tried to chain him and they couldn't. Matthew says there were two because he invites you into the story to be with the demon-possessed man to see the horrible life that he was experiencing. Maybe each one of us has been, in a sense, healed by Jesus from the demons in our lives. Or maybe you could look at it as, what would it be like to be this man's brother, to know that my brother is living in the tombs, is living a desolate life of isolation? What if you were the mom or the dad of that young man living in the tombs all by himself, crying out daily, chained, breaking the chains, and all by himself? What if you were there on Palm Sunday, Jesus is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And there's Jesus riding on the donkey, and there's the extra animal. We're not really there, but we're invited into the story to see the crowds. How would we react? Would we have been the people who were cheering for Jesus and saying, Hosanna, or would we have been the people who were saying, tell these people to quit doing this? Where would we have been in the story? I, okay, I realize that that's, that may not be it, but what I think is really important is, even if that's not it, maybe there were two men in every one of those instances. Maybe Jesus did ride both animals going into the city. But the main thing, I think, is as we read the scriptures, that we see ourselves in the story. Where would we have been at, in the Garden of Gethsemane? Could we have stayed awake with Jesus as he prayed or would we have let him down like the other three did? When Jesus was on trial, would we have run away or would we have stayed back to see what was happening and then denied Jesus? And then how would we have responded after that? Any, any story in the Bible invites us in to put ourselves in the story to see, that's where we learn from the story, is we invite ourselves into the story to be a character and see how we would have reacted uh, in those cases. I don't think that there's any discrepancies in the Bible. I think all of these stories come right together. I don't know all of the explanations of how they exactly come together, but I do know that the, the gospel story comes together with us as we look to Jesus and believe on his name. And if we believe on his name, we can be sort of like those people in Philadelphia who endured patiently and even though we might not have been strong we never denied his name and tonight if there's anyone who is uh, weak and needs prayers of the congregation or maybe has decided this is the time to put on Christ in baptism and begin your walk with Jesus let's do that now as we stand and sing <laughs>